Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Last April, Governor Tom Wolf signed a bill making medical marijuana legal with great fanfare. Pennsylvanians with about a dozen conditions or illnesses would be able to utilize the medical version of cannabis. It was pointed out at the time that it may be two years before the program was fully implemented. In the meantime, there are questions that remain unanswered about how and where it will be grown. Will doctors and banks get on board? And will federal laws change? The Central Penn Business Journal has a special report this week asking those questions. And to discuss it with it are reporters Lene Roll and Michael Sadowski. Welcome both of you to the program. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. And I have to say that, uh, uh, you know, and I, I told you before we went on the air, but uh, Central Penn Business Journal did an excellent job. This is, uh, you address so many questions that I haven't heard, but I want to start with Thank the, the fanfare that uh, this received when uh, Governor Wolf signed this bill. I don't remember uh, a piece of legislation that was greeted with the enthusiasm that this was. From the point of view of the people and the families who are suffering from some of these illnesses, uh, it was a joyous occasion when the governor signed the bill. But on the legislative side, I got the feeling that uh, the legislators were, were happy because it showed that they could cooperate in a bipartisan fashion and they actually could get some things done. However, I have to wonder whether most people were aware of the many questions that have to be answered. What was the thinking behind the special report? Well, I can tell you why why we did it and, and because and and Lene did a lot of the reporting on it for this when we were when we were going through the the, the medical marijuana bill. Um, and the more we talked about it, especially our editors, uh, uh, the more we talked about, it, the more questions we had. And like we aren't, because we're the the Central Penn Business Journal, we're more interested in how this is going to affect our business world. Um, and we knew it would, we just didn't know how. And as we came up with all these questions, we started asking, you know, if we have so many questions, instead of taking this piecemeal, one one or two stories a week, we decided to just put out a whole edition about it. Um, and I'm sure that other people are going to sooner or later, too, because it's such a wide-ranging issue in just about every spectrum. Um, but we decided to make, just concentrate on, like, the business aspects of it and how the, the business community is going to respond to this. Lene, you uh, know a great deal about the history of this bill and medical marijuana in Pennsylvania and really other states across the country. Um when I said that uh, I got the sense that uh, many people weren't aware of some of these questions, is that accurate? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when this bill started, it was a group of mothers who um, approached Senator Fulmer and uh, Leach to get this bill rolling. And I think that, you know, there were good intentions behind this bill. And um, the the concept is great, but I think that now it's up to everybody else, you know, the businesses, the healthcare system, to really make sure that it works for these patients. Mm -hmm. Now, when you were planning the, the report, did you sit around thinking, okay, what about this? What about that? Because I just mentioned to you, we just heard a story on NPR about a DUI, about a DUI, and it got me thinking, okay, is this going to be covered uh, under DUI laws? Is that something that has even been addressed so far that we know of? Um, that's a question I haven't raised yet, and I think that um, we started initially just reading the bill and coming up with questions. Um, now that we've worked on this, we can probably keep going for 
for years. Uh, well, <laughs> but I, I, I think we, like we we kind of sat around. We had we had a meeting one time. We got all the reporters and all the editors in, and we just threw things at the wall and threw out a bunch of ideas for as many ideas as we had. And then I think what happened is our our editors came back and gave us like ten good ideas yeah. to to go through with this. And that's this how edition. it often happens. Yep. But uh, again, I have to admit that I raised my eyebrows when I saw how many unanswered questions. And when I say unanswered, maybe the people who wrote the legislation, who enacted the legislation, have answers. But I wonder whether the public has uh, gotten into some of these things. Well, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. This isn't any different than any other legislation that comes well, there out. There you the go. There's a <laughs> lot. I mean, we're t- this isn't any different than unfunded mandates uh, or anything else. I mean, I don't want to take shots, but it's not that much different. No. From what I understand, there are people that were aware of this, these questions that we raised, and just said, okay, and then pass the bill anyway. Uh, by the way, if you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at org. Is there any one question in particular that hasn't been answered? Oh. <laughs> there's, there's about, you can, I think we're into triple digits. All right. Well, then let's things. let's get into them then. I, I thought maybe there would be one that, like, stuck out. But uh, let's look at these one by one. What kind of money, equipment, and space will be needed to grow and process marijuana? Uh, I, again, I, I often get the feeling that everyone just thought that okay, well, we're going to open this up and you know, there'll be growers. And but you raise some real questions here. Let's start with the money. Uh, how does how much does this cost to get going? Well. Um... You know, aside from just the actual licensing fee to apply. Which is what? um, Well, they're different depending on growing and processing, I think, and dispensing. Um, Growing and processing will be about $200,000 needed initially just for the license. Um, And then on top of that, you need about $2 million in capital. So it's not a small investment. Mm -hmm. What about the equipment needed? There's tons <laughs> for 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 what I mean. There's different things. There's there's growing and then there's processing. All right. Well, let's talk growing first because this is not going to be out in someone's backyard or I mean it's going to take a lot of of, of room, a lot of space to begin with. It's not going to be out in on someone's property unless they go ahead and buy that property where they have it. I mean it's going to be grown indoors, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, indoors and in you know greenhouses, and a lot of space is needed to grow it. Um, I think in here, uh, one of our reporters covered the square footage and all of that. But um, you know, it's uh, not like you're going to see it in the fields or anything like that. And so, space security is a big issue on that as well. I, would... I mean, that's one of the things is the security is that you're going to need a lot of it. Yeah, uh, it's not. It's not just like growing strawberries and, and keeping the squirrels out. I mean, you gotta there. There's a there's a huge element of security that you're gonna have to make sure that you are able to take care of and be able to show in a licensing application that you have plans for it. Well, even indoors. Even indoors. I think security is going to be a oh, yeah. a, a real issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, there may be uh, an employee who would be tempted to take some of the, of the product home with them, <laughs> but uh, from what I understand, every plant... Well, I mean, they have, because there's people who, just as much as there's security people who are in casinos who have to handle money, 
there's going to be people in who would have that same temptation. There's going to be people who have to, who are security people at these marijuana right. uh, growers that are going to have the same kind 24 of temptation. 24-7, right? Yep. 24-7, and each plant is going to be barcoded so that they know exactly uh, what, you know, what how many plants have been grown and, you know, how, how much of, of the product there is. Um, so, again, let's get back to some of the equipment, Lene. What, what, what is some of the equipment that will be needed? Um, well, definitely, you know, special lighting for it to grow. Um, you know, he, uh, I think they call it UV lighting or something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, the plants get pretty tall, so it's not um, the reg- you know, your regular farming equipment. It will take special equipment to do that. In fact, there is some speculation that this will occur like in even in industrial uh, you know areas where we have warehouses and things like that correct because you need that that much space yeah absolutely definitely will be some retrofitting of of buildings to convert them into grow houses mm-hmm. which is always a good thing maybe get these back on the tax rolls then places that have been sitting vacant for years I mean there's I'm sure people have their eye on them already Mm-hmm. And excuse me for jumping around, but uh, I follow your lead. So when you bring up a topic like that, uh, a lot of times I want to ask, do we know how much tax money this would bring in? I don't think so. I'm sure someone somewhere has said that it's this much or this much. But I remember that when Colorado legalized no, recreational marijuana. Right. Different. There's some. They had an estimate for how much they thought it would bring in in tax money, and they did it for for tax money, which is perfectly fine. And I think it was something like two times. And it, they they said they were being they said they were being aggressive with their with their estimate, and it still ended up coming up two times. They got twice the number of taxes tax mm-hmm. money than they thought they now, would. Now, so, this, I mean, is, this is different, tough. though. This yeah. is different, though, right. because it is not for recreational purposes, right. uh, and it will be regulated much more. And you get the sense that Pennsylvania didn't do this for uh, as a revenue generator. That, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, a ni- nice side benefit, but uh, that the, the, the motivation was that, you know, as Lene had mentioned, it started with uh, the mother, mothers of children who were suffering from violent seizures, right. and that this is one of the ways that uh, they could control those seizures or reduce them. Right. I don't know about eliminating them, but uh, you know, many times we've had uh, some of the mothers especially, but the parents on the, on the program talking about it, but that seems to be the motivation here in Pennsylvania. All right, so give me a sense of how much space is needed for something like this. Lene, you mentioned that one of the reporters had looked at it and uh, had estimated. And again, this is a lot of this is being taken from other states that have done this. About half the country, uh, the states in the country, uh, do have medical marijuana legal. Uh, what are we looking at space-wise? Um, so, you know, we... Uh, experts have told us about um, between 25,000 and 100,000 square feet in size um, to grow it. And you're looking at about 60 workers on a seasonal basis um, just to keep up with everything uh, to keep it operational. 60, is that 60 full-time workers? Uh, yeah, well, But seasonal. it is on a seasonal basis. What's the Correct. season for growing marijuana if it's indoors? Do you know? 
think we've really gotten that far. Okay, <laughs> another question. <laughs> yep. Let's write that one down. <laughs> I got it. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at org. Let's take a phone call from Steve in Conestoga, who can provide uh, a little bit of context here because uh, he's coming from Washington State. Steve, you're on the air. Well, hey there. Hi. Hey, yeah. Steve. Uh, I just moved here. I moved back to Pennsylvania after living in Washington for almost 20 years, and uh, we legalized it there a couple of years ago. And it, it it's interesting because you are just allowed to grow your own plants. Uh, it, it's a seed that you put in the ground and, and water it, and you don't need a, a $2.2 million investment to grow marijuana. Um, the, the, the thought that some people need to use this as it's, it's legitimized that it has medicinal properties now, so it doesn't need to be processed. It can be used in its normal uh, God-given form, and it's a free plant that, that can just grow in the ground. And then, you know, uh, there was no uh, thievery going on either. There, there's, there's People are not going around ripping off everybody's crop because everybody was able to grow it if they wanted to. There was a stipulation that you could have up to seven plants in your house or you could get a license and do it commercially in Washington. I thought that was a great system. Mm. All right, Steve, thank you very much for your call. Uh, but the reality is that Pennsylvania is much different, and uh, especially as far as smoking and you know, using medical marijuana in the form, it will be in a form of an oil or a pill for the most part, uh, is, you know, you're going to have small children. There's a, there's, a, there's a natural progression to things. If if they, if someday that Pennsylvania decides that they want to legalize it recreationally, and that days might come a decade from now, it might come 20 years from now. I mean, there's definitely a, a, a voice out there of a strong number of people who think that this is no different than alcohol. Yeah, but Mike, we have to deal with one thing at a time. At know, exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's the same thing what happened with the uh, with the liquor bill yesterday. Is that yeah. it wasn't what the Republicans wanted, but it was the only way it was getting through. So hey, one step at a time. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're discussing the many questions surrounding medical marijuana before it is fully available in Pennsylvania. Our guests today, Lene Rule and Michael Sadowski, reporters with Central Penn Business Journal. Central Penn Business Journal has a special report out this week where they address many of the questions, many of the unanswered questions about medical marijuana. If you have a question, a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. You also can leave a question or comment on WITF. ITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. We do have some open lines right now if you would like to get through. All right, let's talk about... Scott, before we go, lest we forget, if you want to find out, if you don't have the issue and you want to find out, you can go to cpbj.com, okay. Central Penn Business Journal. All right, well, we'll be sure to... <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm happy to promote it because, as I said, it's such an, an excellent resource for uh, for this, this issue. Um, all right, we were talking about the, the equipment, the money, uh, the space. What about processing? And because unlike what um, you know, Steve just described, this is not going to be in its raw form. This is going to be processed into an oil, into a pill. Uh, it's, it's going to be different. That's how it will be taken here in, uh, in Pennsylvania. 
How is it processed? What are we looking at cost-wise for that? And will there still be will be, there be processing right on site of uh, the people who are growing it? Yeah, so um, to grow and process, that, that license is one and the same. Um, growers oh, okay. will be processors. Yeah, okay. so all of that will happen on site. Um, and I, I think it is in here, you know, one of the reporters really delved into exactly what um, it will take to process the plant. Mm -hmm. But uh, do you have a sense of, of what goes into that processing? I mean, obviously, it has to be extracted from the plant and made into the oil or made into a into a pill form. Uh, but I, I was not aware that uh, when you processed it, that the growers and processors right there in the same thing that it was it was part of the license. Yeah. Sure. Um, we you know we got into exactly um, how it will be grown and um, you know the uh, harvesting process. Um, you know, you're going to extract the chemical compounds, but I think, like, the actual chemistry of it um, is something that we could go a little further into in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, how about dispensing it? How will it be dispensed? Um, so dispensaries, there will be a select amount, and uh, the Department of Health is working right now on exactly where, you know, dispensaries will be spaced out um, throughout the state. And in the dispensaries, those will also, you know, security is a big issue with that as well. Yeah, I understand that uh, it's anticipated there will be bars on the windows and, and, and that kind of thing. But where will these dispensaries be? I mean, will there be some restrictions on where they can locate? Yeah, so um, dispensaries have to be within um, a certain distance from schools and things like that. Um, they don't want them too close to children. That's part of the regulations for where they can be. I think uh, exactly where in the state they will open will depend on, like I said, the Department of Health um, has said that they're going to break the state down into three separate areas and then um, from there approve licenses, you know, so that they're spaced out and that everyone has access to to them. Now, I don't know whether this is a good comparison or not, but in Pennsylvania, um, where you can buy alcohol is regulated by so many miles apart so that there aren't too many close together and people aren't traveling so far. Do we know how many dispensaries there will be, and is that part of, of the law uh, uh, as far as how, how far apart they will be? Um, I haven't read anything as far as how far apart they will be from each other. I do know um, that there are going to be 50 dispensary licenses and that each um, license can operate up to three locations. So we're talking 150 tops. Okay. So you could be look looking at, if you look at the Pennsylvania 67 counties, um, that each county should have at least three or so. You would think, but then you're going to find more in Philadelphia. Potter County will have one. Well, but, that's just know. it. See, that's the question. I'm, I'm, I'm just anticipating whether we will have people saying that this is too far away. I can't get to. Uh, you know, I have to travel 50 miles to a dispensary. Well, I remember there are only three casino licenses that went out at the start. Two or three casino licenses True. went out at the start, and it's it's this. Like you said, I think this is the first step in it. It's a process, and I think that once they find these are successful, and guess what? Once they're bringing in tax revenue, I think there might there's probably going to be some more of the licenses that are given out. Mike, you're bringing up good points here today. Uh, Dave, it's my job. It's my job. <laughs> David is in Duncan, David, you're on the air. Yeah, uh, I had a comment to make. 
I I grew up in the '60s. I'm you know retired. I know a lot of people, and there are quite a few people that already use this anyway. I mean, it's cheaper than regular prescriptions. More effective against a lot of illnesses, and I think this bill largely is a kabuki show because it's everybody's going to wait, and as soon as they legalize it in another state, New Jersey, Maryland, Ohio, you name it. Everybody's going to run there and buy it because they're not going to go through all this. This is a lot of hassle for something that should have been done years ago. So you're you're just, you're saying that uh, you think people yeah, will uh, will go out and, and continue to buy it on this uh, marijuana uh, to smoke on the street? Oh, definitely. Or you can you you know they use an LED a grow light, and anybody can use a grow light. I mean, you can grow tons of the stuff. It's a weed. Mm-hmm. It's not hard to grow. Well, I mean, two million dollars. Come on! But and that's... competent grower could set that up in a week. Yeah, I mean, the problem the is they could go to jail. And LED lights and all that stuff because this is not a hard crop to grow. But I, I guess and the point is, is that they could go to jail if they do that. Well, of course. But but the thing is, there's so much. And you can go to jail if I you mean, bring it back from the, Maryland and, or New Jersey or someplace where it is yeah. a little easier. And, you know, and they can go there and smoke it. I mean, you know, if it's legal, they can go there and do it. And, and you mentioned the DUI thing where they're going to test people. You know, since when do they DUI people? And who's testing for barbiturates? Who's testing for sleeping pills? Who's testing for prescription drugs on these people that are driving? I mean, if you're going to do this as a DUI, buddy, test for everything. Hey, David, thank you very much for your call. Well, and when you go and fight it in court, that's what lawyers do. They'll say, "Hey, this this he was he was on medically prescribed sleeping pills or whatever," and sometimes it gets thrown out, and sometimes it doesn't. That's not for the cops to do. That's for lawyers to prove later, usually in DUI cases. But but David brings up uh, a couple good points, and Steve did earlier that. I mean, they're completely right that there are people smoking marijuana today, whether they're doing it for pain or, you know, some other medical condition. That's one thing. But let's face it. There are a lot of other people who are smoking just for the pleasure. They want to get high. Um, The difference is, well, first of all, before we go to the differences, we just say that that's one of the reasons that this bill, this proposal took so long to get through Pennsylvania, because that's what many people pictured is that it would be marijuana in its that form, smokable form, and not uh, in pill form or uh, as an oil. So, you know, that's one of the reasons it took so long. There is that stigma. There's no doubt there's a stigma, and it's going to take years for it to be gone. And there's a lot of businesses that aren't going to touch this. And that's one of the things we want to get into. We want to get into that. But something that we touched on just briefly a little bit earlier This is still illegal under federal law. Even though half the states in the country have a medical marijuana law, if the federal government today said, we're going to crack down on this, they could do it. They absolutely can. They could shut everything down. So what's that say? I mean, they haven't done it so far in states where recreational marijuana is available, like Washington, like Colorado. Um, But even in this form of medical marijuana, what if the federal government decides they're going to crack down on it? Well, I think it's important to note that the language in the law here in Pennsylvania um, specifically states that this is a, to provide temporary relief for patients until it changes at the federal level. So this is so that you know parents aren't um, legal illegally 
uh, buying marijuana off of the streets. This is to protect, you know, those patients is how the bill is worded. Um, So I think, you know, if the government were to change federal regulations, this this entire bill could be readdressed because the laws federally would be different. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Obama administration is pretty much gave the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We're cool with this. Don't worry about it. And, and especially like in Colorado and Washington said, yep, go ahead. Do what you want. You're, you're, we're, we're good and we're not going to enforce it. But that's the Obama administration. That's right. We, we have, have a new no, president. Yeah, we have an election year. coming up from what I hear. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but, and if certain people are elected, certain people might say, I don't like this. And might go and say, might go and crack down on everything that that's got going on. That's why you're seeing that that banks really aren't getting involved with this uh, at all. Before we take more phone calls, let's talk about that. You're you're reporting banks are not getting involved. Why not? Because it is a federally illegal drug, and their charters are given out from the at the federal level. So at the with like the FDIC, um, so they're not. They could have their charters pulled. They could have money. There are specific things that has been sent out to banks to say, you can have your charter pulled. You can have your. You can have. You can be faced with money laundering charges, um, if the government would decide to crack down on this. And so it's a roll of the dice. And they're, they they know that they're not going to get cracked down on now, but that's for now. And in nine months, who knows? Well, then what happens, uh, as we described earlier? This is going to take big bucks for uh, for these operations to get started. They're going to have to go to, you know, the owners, the people who get the licenses are going to have to go to banks for the most part to get their, their money. Well, we found that in like Colorado and other states, they're going to venture capitalists and it's coming from it's coming from capital is coming from other areas. It's just and in some cases it is coming from banks, but not the majority for sure. And you have now, Mike. This is your beat on with Central Penn Business Journal is uh, the banking industry. Have you talked to banks? Have they told you that uh, we're going to sit back and, and 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 watch this? I have not talked to many banks about this recently, but I, I talked to um, the president of the Oregon Bankers Association, uh, which is where it's been legal for a couple of years now, uh, for a while now, and they and she said that and. Oregon actually just passed a state bill specifically to banks and to financiers that said, you know, everything's cool at the state level. It's like specific, like it was on the state legal. level. Yeah, it's a, and and so I call her up and said, hey, has this made any difference? She's like, no, it's it's just kind of it's just kind of a bill that's there. Um, so and I said, I asked her, I mean, have has this helped any banks get more into it? And she said, no. Said there's a handful, a very small handful of banks that are that are into this here and. Otherwise, just no. So they've gone to venture capitalists rather than banks. Anywhere you can get, anywhere they can get money, like VCs would be one of them. I mean, that there's there are small like niche marijuana capital companies, and there are some of those that have popped up that have that have raised capital specifically for the marijuana industry. Well, if there's money there, they could exactly view as sooner, an investment. Sooner or later, someone if if banks aren't going to, and that's the, that's the worry. I mean, everyone's pretty much asking the federal government, "Hey, let's let's work on this. Let's figure this out." But they're not doing it. So now you're going to allow all these little pop up places that aren't regulated to come and just take money and give it out, and who knows what's going to happen after mm-hmm. that. And from what I understand, we had a little problem with that about uh, 15 years ago. With what? With the housing crisis. That's I, I mean, that's how the housing crisis started. When you get these unregulated places that pop up and that that are allowed to give out crazy loans. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take a call from uh, Jim and Edders. Jim, you're on the air. 
Hey, how are you? Good. Uh, this is such a naive question, but it's something I've always wondered. I watched all these shows about the marijuana industry. It's illegal all over the United States. Where do they get their seed stock from? I don't think it's a naive question at all. Where do they get their seed stock from? I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> that is um, a very good question. I, don't really know the that I will I will look into that. Yeah, because so apparently they, it's not naive. Good no, question. No, I think see you're, you you've made a good suggestion for us in the media to report on, but uh, yeah, I've never heard an answer to that. No, I haven't either. But uh, I'm sure there's an easy one. We have someone on the line who's been growing for years, yeah. so maybe he can uh, answer that question. <laughs> hey, thanks very much for your call. In fact, let's go to this caller. Doesn't want to give his name. I kind of understand why. Uh, but tell us about your experience. Um, I grew marijuana for 20 years in uh, Tennessee. I was a semi-commercial grower. I used to pay $1,000 for 10 seeds through the seed bank in Canada. And in three rooms, six by six hydroponic units, I had a flower room a bud room and a grow room, um, three different types of lighting. I could grow six to 12 pounds of marijuana every three months. Well, okay, so... That but that's like finished that. product. That's not even the shake or the stems or anything else. Yeah. Uh, quick question for you. Uh, when you say semi-commercial, what does that mean? Um... I made a lot of money doing it, but illegally, I didn't, you know, go over the top. Right. Well, illegally, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much for your call. But uh, this would not be illegal. But uh, it's good to get that perspective. All right. Some of the, one of the other questions. Get a, you... get a license. If that's just, I think that's the message everyone needs to get here. It it's to do what we're regulating to do. It's legal. Get a license. Go through the process. Yeah. Uh, doctors. Doctors will have to register with the state and then recommend it to their patients. It's not a prescription. I think that uh, many people assume that, uh, that if they had one of the conditions that are covered, and there are about a dozen of them, uh, if they have one of the conditions that are covered, that they would go to the doctor, say, here's the situation. Uh, can I get a prescription? That's not how it's going to happen, Correct. Correct. So you can't just um, go to any doctor and be diagnosed with, you know, PTSD and go and and get a prescription for medical marijuana. The doctor who prescribes or who recommends um, the use of medical marijuana to a patient has to be the doctor that the patient is seeing for that illness in which, you know, that is qualified under this Law. So that uh, patients couldn't doctor shop. You know, we have this opioid problem right now and uh, painkillers. So th that is designed to keep people from looking for a doctor just to prescribe. Correct. And so, you know, what the Department of Health is working on right now is exactly how that process will work. Um, but what we do um, know right now, just from how the bill is laid out, is that patients and the doctors have to have a relationship, and both of them will have to register into the program, so all of their information will be out there, their name, their date of birth, everything like that. 
But as I said, is it accurate that it will only be recommended by doctors? It won't be prescribed? Correct. So a doctor could say to a patient, I recommend that if you use this, it could help with your illness, but they can't actually write a prescription for it. Once the doctor makes a recommendation, the patient would then take that to the Department of Health and then they would decide yes or no if that patient qualifies under this law. Now, when you say take it, not physically, but right. probably I'm, I'm online. Yeah. Will doctors participate? Since there is that stigma, will there be doctors who will say, we're not going to do this because it's illegal federally? Um, there are, you know, doctor advocate organizations like the Pennsylvania Medical Society who have been very vocal about concerns in lack of research for medicinal use of marijuana. Um, that is no secret. Um, I think that once, you know, the Department of Health works out the regulations, part of their effort will be to reach out to doctors um, th that they have said. So I think, um, you know, only time will tell on that front. Well, I, I, and I don't think a bill gets to this kind of position where it's legal now without some kind of doctor support. I mean, there are plenty of doctors who are up on the Capitol at every rally that right, was going on right. saying, hey, this is fine, and we'll be the first ones to tell you this is fine, and we think it should be legal because it can really help people. Well, yeah, there were doctors um, who were uh, so supporting this from the there, beginning. Yeah. Might, it, might be, it might be a smaller percentage than the majority, but I'm sure there are plenty of doctors out there that will that will be registered into the program. What about insurance companies? Will this be covered if you have to get, if you're recommended to get uh, medical marijuana for pain or one of the other conditions, will it be covered by insurance companies? Right now, probably not. That is something that commercial insurers haven't really touched um, be, and because of the federal regulations on it. And, and that's in other states? Yes. Okay. So what's the cost? I mean, uh, I read in uh, your report that it would be a half ounce to an ounce of, and I don't know on what time basis that is for some of these conditions. Uh, what are we looking at cost-wise? Um, well, the dispensaries are, and the growers and processors, they can all um, set their own costs, but that will be regulated by the Department of Health. So if they get too steep or anything like that, I think that they can step in and say, you know, that's too high. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean... <laughs> Obviously, well, you don't. Scratch the surface, I, I know, I know. You don't. <laughs> obviously, you don't want patients who can take advantage of this uh, being gouged and uh, paying high prices. But does the state really want competition between dispensaries? I don't know. You're shaking I, I, your I, head, I, Mike. I, it's <laughs> you can't you know see what? that on because, radio. You know what? Yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't think they necessarily want it, but. I think yesterday's bills says yesterday's liquor bill, liquor modernization says that yeah, competition is okay, and competition leads to better prices, and that's better for the consumer. And I think they want. I think the state has always wanted to show that they're looking out for the consumer, mm -hmm. which is us. You know, in you have a list there, and if you, uh, Lene, if you would take a look of of the conditions, the, there's about a dozen of them. Uh, I mentioned that um, there's a like a little sidebar that sure. has a, has them. Um, I mentioned in the one that has gotten the most attention has been uh, the parents, the families of uh, children who suffer from uh, violent seizures, that this can help them. What are some of the other conditions? Um, so uh, one of the conditions that was added um, as the bill was being discussed right before it passed was autism, which is actually um, pretty rare. 
and um, pretty rare across the country. Yeah, yeah, to have autism for medical marijuana. Um, other things are cancer, um, HIV and AIDS, Parkinson's disease, um, glaucoma. And then I think one that will open the door for m most people based on um, talking to experts is that last one is severe, chronic, or intractable pain. So, you know, anything that can't be um, treated with opioid therapy could be then uh, treated with medical marijuana. So there's a possibility that a doctor would recommend this, medical marijuana for pain, rather than an opioid. Correct. Okay. All right. Well, the, as you have heard over the past uh, 40 minutes, uh, there are a lot more questions out there, and we've had some good ones raised by our audience today. But I want to thank Lene Rule and Michael Sadowski, Central Penn Business Journal. They have a special report on medical marijuana this week in Central Pennsylvania Business Journal. Thank and you at cpbj.com. <laughs> hey, thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. It's called tagging, and you probably have seen something today that has been tagged by a graffiti artist or at least an amateur graffiti artist. Graffiti and other trash can be seen in even some of the most pristine places in Pennsylvania, including in our state parks and state forests. But now there's a program to clean them up. It's called the Stewards of Penn's Woods Initiative. Joining us to tell us more is Marcy Mowry, president of the Pennsylvania Parks and Forest Foundation. Marcy, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Scott. Great you're, to be here. You're like a regular. Oh, I enjoy being here. <laughs> well, that's because our uh, our audience enjoys the conversation about parks and forests and the outdoors. If you have a question, a comment, give us a call. 1-800-729-7532. All right, before we talk about... Uh, the graffiti, the trash, and all that. Let's talk about the project itself, uh, the, the Stewards of uh, Penn's Woods. The Stewards of Penn's Woods project uh, was launched last year softly, but this year we kicked it off more formally. And the idea behind it is to pair places in, the, in our state parks and state forests that could use a little extra loving from users. Um, it could be individuals, families, corporations that agree to go out three, four, five times a year and to help keep it clean, pull invasive plants, and in many of these locations, keep an eye on it to make sure that it's not being tagged. Why Why was that needed? I mean, aren't there enough uh, state workers, people working in the state parks, state forest? We have, you know... Um, Dead air there. Sorry about that. That's you know, all right. I'm thinking That's about fine. that. The, the reason that it's needed is, is that it's always helpful to have a, a extra eyes and hands. You know, a lot of times our volunteers are working alongside state park and state forest staff. Um, but in this case, you know, some of these areas are very remote and they may not be getting out as often as, as they, they need to be because of some of the negative activity that's happening. So by engaging volunteers, it gives it extra eyes and ears. And um, it gets more regular visitation, and regular visitation helps to deter negative behavior. And I think also, just my own observation, uh, but you tell me, it seems like there would be more buy-in, more ownership of the state parks and state forest if, I mean, obviously for someone to volunteer, they care about it. But 
it even it feels like it would be part of themselves. Absolutely. Last year, the Pennsylvania Parks and Forest Foundation had over 50,000 volunteer hours of people that have volunteered across the Commonwealth. People love their state parks and state forests, and this is a way that you can give back. And it, it, it does allow ownership. And if you think about the history of our parks and forests, they really grew up from, from the people saying, let's mm-hmm. protect these great assets that we have. And we're just continuing that legacy. All right. So what's going on right now? What are your projects right now? Well, right now, you know, we, we kicked off... Um, the stewards of Penn's Woods at Hammonds and Buzzard Rocks, which is in the Michaud State Forest. And these are two really interesting geologic outcroppings. Hammonds Rocks is um, Cambrian, Weaverton, Loudon Formation Rock, which, you know, is a mouthful. And um, No, but we like things that we learn here in this program. Okay, so. excellent. <laughs> and and it's, what's interesting about it is it's above ground. And for geologists, this is like a pilgrimage because it's a place they can go and look at this this formation, what happened through plate tectonics. They can they can take rock measurements. They can do pebble measurements. They can really engage their students. And so it's, it's a very interesting place. And um, Buzzard Rocks is a beautiful overlook of the valley. But what has happened over the course of the years is people started tagging the areas. And as they tagged, more negative behavior started to, 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 to come. People looked at it and said, oh, this is a party spot. Why don't I go here to party? So in April, we did a cleanup of just Hammonds and Buzzard Rocks. And we took out over 87 bags of trash, 18 tires, a swing set, an entertainment center, metal, four boxes of nails because of illegal fire rings where they're burning pallets and pieces of furniture they'd find along the road, Um, broken glass from partying and smashing bottles. And so that aspect is an ongoing cleanup. But now we're tackling the graffiti. And at Hammonds Rocks alone, we have over 6,500 square feet of graffiti. I want to go back for just a second. A swing set? A swing set. How did that happen? I guess somebody decided they no longer wanted it, so they were going to throw it down the hill. Well, it sounds that way that a lot of what you described is people just dumping trash. Yes, that happens. They would go to a state park and forest and dump trash. Yeah. In fact, while we were there, somebody was was bringing a load out. And what did you do to that person? We just kind of guided them to where we were putting the trash and... You didn't call the uh, the authorities and the authorities were with us. <laughs> oh, okay. So they got what? Yes, had, because it is it is illegal to dump in a state park or state forest. Well, it's illegal to dump almost anywhere, but uh, exactly. You know, to pick out a state forest and a t- state park really takes a lot of guts. Oh, and it breaks my heart. Because it these really are beautiful does. places, and you go there with your family, you have your young child, and and all of a sudden you have this this negative experience instead of a positive experience. Oh my God! All right, so now let's get to the. Graffiti. How how many square feet are we, are we talking about? Just at Hammonds Rocks, we have 6,500 square feet. We've actually identified 37 spots across the Commonwealth in 20 different state parks and state forests. And we had a student at Shippensburg University that mapped that out for us. So we're figuring out our strategy of, of circling the state, as well as doing outreach, because it doesn't work just to remove the graffiti. You have to help people understand, A, that it's illegal, and be that there are alternative things you can do in our state parks and state forests that are legal and fun, and also to, to help them to understand the value of these sites untagged. I would think, you tell me, I would think that it would be difficult to remove paint. It is not easy to remove paint. We um, have tried several different cleaning agents. We went out on a, um, on a cold, rainy Monday and uh, tested four different cleaning agents, um, and some of them worked better than others. Um, the one that we're looking to use, there's two that we're looking to use. 
Um, they're both biodegradable. We have talked to chemists. We have talked to, to biologists to make sure that we're using agents that are not going to be harmful to the wildlife, not going to be harmful to the to the plants surrounding the areas. And one is has to be applied with a paintbrush. So think about painting a 6,500 square foot house with a paintbrush. That's a little intimidating. So that we're, we're reserving for certain spots because it's difficult and, and time consuming to apply. The other is a can be spray applied. So we're going to be going out in June to Hammonds Rocks. We have some climbers that will be joining us because some of the graffiti is very high. And uh, we'll be doing some application of that. So you apply the, the cleaning agents, and then you need volumes of water to rinse them off. So apply the cleaning agents, maybe scrub them with a long-handled scrub brush, rinse them off, apply again. Because what's happening, it's almost like a magic slate. You take a layer of graffiti off, and there's a new message underneath. Really? Yeah. And that comes up after you've cleaned the... Yes. You, you clean them, really. Yeah. So we're, we're going to be timing. We, you know, this this at Hammonds Rocks kind of experimental to to fine-tune our process and to, to see how long it takes before we move around the state and do some other areas. But it's interesting. We had a, a young lady send us a video the other day. She was out hiking in Clear Creek State Forest and came across three young ladies who were tagging a rock, class of 2016, Got a video of it, sent it to us. We, we shared it with the district forester. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, that's one of the things that uh, when you think about this, this has to be premeditated because people don't walk around with spray, can, spray paint cans in their pockets and their backpacks. They have to plan it ahead of time when they go into a state park or state forest. Yeah. So they're, they're going in with the intent to tag. Mm. So... <laughs> You know, I, I can just see where this is such a big job. But one thing that you did mention to me is that, you know, I, I think that almost anyone listening to this program, unless they've actually done it, would say that's horrible. You know, this is something that's preserved for people in, in Pennsylvania. It's one of the, the, the beautiful spots. It's where we go to relax. It's where we go to have fun. We don't want to see that, that kind of stuff around here. But you said that there actually are some people who have pushed back that how dare you, and I don't know if they've used those words, but in so many words, how dare you erase this? I was trying to, well, what were they thinking? Well, in some cases, they, they feel that it's um, erasing a memory that they had. And, you know, and in that case, we encourage them to maybe go out and take a picture and to retain it for their, for their own selves. Um, they, some of the pushback was, what are teenagers going to do? Um, oh, and, and we okay. suggest there are a lot of other positive things that teenagers could do. Um, there has been talk, well, this is my spiritual place, and spirituality is fine, and we all have different interactions with the forested landscape, but, you know, tagging is not legal, and so, you know, we can, you can enjoy the spirit of the place without the aerosol. Well, and it's, even if it wasn't illegal, it's just selfish. It's just, uh, you know, I know I'm making my own state, my own opinion here, but it's just selfish. Uh, you know, that's there for everyone to enjoy. And for you to leave your mark and, uh, I don't know, it just, just do something. That, that just says, well, you know, my uh, opinion or what I want to, this memory for is, is more important than yours. Yeah, you know, and, and in some cases people argue that some of it is art, but there's also a lot of, there's profanity, right. there's there's anti-this group or that group, there's um, a lot of genitalia, so it's it's not someplace you want to take your family. And for us, that's a litmus test. If you can't take a child there and feel comfortable, or, or if you can't go there as an individual person and feel safe, 
then it's not what we want. We want people to feel safe and have a positive experience in the outdoors, not to fear that, you know, they have to, to look out for broken glass or they're uncomfortable because of the level of graffiti and they're afraid of what else might be happening there. Is there a stiffer penalty for someone who does this on state park land or state forest land? Well, there are state park and forest rules that would be violated, but there's also um, state code. It's um, Chapter 18... Um, Title 18, Chapter 33, it's criminal mischief. And so it depends on, on the volume of graffiti, the amount of, um, of damage that is done, where the level of, of penalty lies. Mm. So what are you looking for from the public? Well, there's a couple things we're looking for from the public. Um, a, we, we want them to know that, you know, tagging in your state park and state forest is not a good idea. You know, let's leave these beautiful places for all generations to enjoy. We are encouraging people to come out and help us with our cleanups as we travel the state. They can follow us on our, on our website at paparksandforest.org or on Facebook. We um, Tagging, is, uh, removing graffiti is not inexpensive. We've estimated it's about $1 per square foot, so they can support it financially and go on to our wall of honor. Honor, rather than a wall of graffiti, we've cre created a wall of honor. And then there are materials that were ne are needed. Um, we're purchasing the cleaning agents, but we need um, spray canisters, much like you use to apply things in your garden, um, scrub brushes on poles, um, gloves to protect people. Because um, the, the agents, the cleaning agents can be harsh, much like if you're spending your day with your hands in a bucket of ammonia water scrubbing floors. You know, it can be harsh to your skin. So we're looking to make sure all of our volunteers are are protected. You mentioned that uh, some of these places are not easy to get to. That's exactly right. And that's one of the challenges with removal is, you know, you have to have access to it. We are looking at, you know, um, power washing, baking soda washing, crushed walnut shells. But in some areas, you can't access the places to do that, or it would change the geology or pit the structure. And um, we want to make sure that from a geologic standpoint, we're not impacting anything in a negative way as well. We had a question from a listener wanted to know if there were groups that were organized that were pushing back against the removing the graffiti, or is this just individuals? Um, there was a, um, a, a group that was forming on Facebook um, that that was, were organizing a peaceful protest, but there, there were some individuals that had sent us messages, and several of them came around. They said, hey, you know what? We went out. We saw how bad it has gotten. We hadn't been there in a couple years, and, and we're with you. I mean, this is not a place that, you know, we feel that we can have a positive memory now either. Mm. But actually a, face group, a Facebook group formed to protest this? Yes. I don't know. I guess everyone has their own opinion, Marcy. I just, that's... <laughs> we, were, we were a little surprised by it as well. But, you know, we're, we, we, have, we have hearts and, and, and we're compassionate people as well. And, and we understand that maybe you had a memory there that you shared with somebody. But we would encourage you know, to take a picture um, and hold that memory there and hold the memory that you have with somebody in your heart and in your head and not memorialize it by doing something that's not I legal. Mean, I mean, I know a lot of us over the years, we've carved it into, into a tree you know, SL plus. Okay, wait a second. You're looking at me like you're surprised. Scott. Okay. Did you ever go to the Rascal and State College? Oh, yes, I did. Did you carve into the tables? I did not. Okay, well, you know what it's like. I do know I, what it's I, like. All right. Okay. Well, I'm not, I don't rem ever remember carving into a tree, but I have seen it. Okay. Daniel Boone even did it, you know? True. You heard that uh, that story. But Marcy Mallory is the uh, president of the Pennsylvania Parks and Forest Foundation. And, uh, Marcy, I'm glad you brought this to our attention. Uh, hopefully, we can get some more volunteers. Again, your website, so that if someone wants to volunteer? It's paparksandforests.org. Okay. Okay.
Marcy, thank you very much. Good luck with this. And it sounds like a lot of hard work, but thank you for your hard work with this. You bet. Coming up on uh, tomorrow's program, we're going to be talking about uh, inequality in women's sports. And uh, this is a a woman who wrote a book, or actually uh, co-authored a book, about her experiences at an area college. And Muhammad Ali on political and social causes.